And so in Philippians chapter 1, we've come to verse 3. We pick it up there. The fundamental teaching, if you've ever studied, most of us have, I'm sure, studied Philippians. Everyone will tell you, and I certainly agree, that the fundamental principle and teaching of Philippians is found in the word joy. Joy comes from a Greek word that has at its root grace. We'll talk about that as we get there. As we come to verse 3, Paul is in prison. Now think about that. He's writing a letter expressing his fullness of joy. And he's in prison. He, uh, he is generally, according to history, that he's generally chained to uh, a Praetorian guard and one of the elite soldiers and they're always having to change the, so of course they have, they have shifts and he's, Paul is sort of in minimum security at this point in time, but he is chained to a Roman soldier and one of the historians writing, one of the early Christian historians writes that the, the troop of guards had to keep being rotated because Paul was preaching Christ to them and they kept getting saved, these Roman guards. He'll talk about that, the, the salvation that's in Caesar's household. We'll get to that, God willing, in our study of Philippians. It just, uh, it just reiterates to us the divine will, purpose, and work of God the greatest preacher of the Christian gospel at that moment in time would have been the apostle Paul and he's in Rome. Regardless of his situation, he's having an effect and he's also writing letters that are very meaningful, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, becoming part of the New Testament uh, that we have. Paul is writing these letters. One of them is this letter uh, to the Philippians. So he's in prison and he's writing to the Philippians who have sent gifts to him, especially financial gifts to help him uh, keep going in that he could live in his own rented house. And he was, he was just, uh, you know, he was in prison, uh, but he was in prison at his house, chained, with a, chained to a guard. Having think, think, thinking about the Philippians, having thought about them, reflecting since he received their gifts, the Holy Spirit of God moves him to write this particular letter uh, that is filled with the principle of joy in Christ, in serving Christ, in, in, in knowing people uh, who, are, who are certainly related in a fellowship with us in Christ, uh, a lot of ways to see it. Paul continues to write in that vein as we continue here in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, you know, you think about this. This would be his memory. He goes into Philippi having, and it, if you really get down to it, he doesn't want to be there. 
It was his intention to go the other direction. You may recall in the book of Acts. But the Holy Spirit of God continued to arrest him and contain him until finally a vision came to him regarding the man in Macedonia, the Macedonian call. And the gospel then was carried instead of into Asia, it was carried into Europe. Upon arriving by ship, he's 10 miles away from the chief city that's called Philippi. And so he and his traveling companions, uh, among, among whom were uh, Silas and Timothy, make their way into Philippi, this very important Roman city, free city. Uh, Roman citizenship was greatly honored there. Of course, Paul was a Roman citizen. Had all kind of perks for people who were Roman citizens. We talked about that last time. It's the Sabbath. And so he needs to gather with Jewish believers. There's no synagogue there. And he goes to the river where he finds some Jewish women praying. And so he goes to pray with them. And then he preaches the gospel to them. Of all of the women who were there, the Bible says that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia. You think about that. There was, according to the language in the book of Acts, there were several women there. Don't know how many, doesn't say, but there were several women there, Jewish women. He preaches the gospel. One is saved, Lydia. She was a, apparently a wealthy woman, a, a, a dealer in purple uh, garments and cloth and the dye, the purple dye, which was exclusive. She becomes a Christian. Everywhere he went, he's nagged in Philippi by this little demon-possessed girl. And so uh, has anybody here ever been nagged by a demon-possessed girl? There you go. Hey, I mean, it's bad enough it's bad enough when they're saved, right? But good grief, a demon-possessed girl. So he turns to this girl and he says, shut up and come out of her. Well, the demon came out and that made her owner. She was a slave, made her owners mad because she had a spirit of divination. and They made a lot of money uh, tricking people into thinking that she could tell the future and so now having lost their business, they carry Paul before the magistrates and they beat him with a rod. A centurion's, uh, uh, what's it, it was a vit, vit, vitasser, uh, the, the Greek word for the rod that was a centurion's club, it really is what it was. It was not quite 30 inches long, but it, uh, it had a meaningful end on it. And it was used by a centurion generally to beat up on a soldier in his command who wasn't doing right. Well, in this case, the centurion was called on to beat Paul so he, and, and his companion. They, they tore their clothes open in the back and he beat them terribly. They, they would have, I, I've read descriptions. The Bible doesn't describe it, but they would have been bleeding and had terrible whelps all over their backs. Um, it had been very, very painful. 
And then after that, they are ordered to be placed in the prison in stocks. The stocks, I told you last time, were designed to put the cuffs on their hands and their feet, and then they would pull the chains through the iron, the metal rings and stretch them as far as they go and then lock it down. So, you know, you're like this, you can't move. And this, you know, Paul is in there with Silas and this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. Paul says to Silas, you know, this ain't too comfortable, is it? He said, no, it hurts kind of bad. We're going to have to stay here. We're going to have to go to sleep like this. Now remember, this is the gospel according to Charles. And so Paul says to Silas, how many songs you know? Well, I know them all. Well, we ain't got nothing better to do. Let's just sing. So they started singing hymns and psalms. Stretched out there in a prison, singing. At midnight, late into the night. They're just singing. How long would it take you to sing every gospel and song and hymn that you know? Well, for me, a while, a while, especially if you sing all four or five verses of a hymn. <laughs> um, while they're singing, then an earthquake comes. The earthquake opens the doors to the jail cells and it shakes their bonds, their chains loose from their hands and their feet. He's remembering this. He says, every remembrance of you. Now he says, I thank God upon every, okay, so here's a guy. He's had his back laid open by a vicious club. He's stretched out in a most uncomfortable position, probably been there for hours He's in a prison that is most uncomfortable and there's no way you can't, you can't, you think about it. You can't lay down. You can't sit down. You can't relieve yourself. It's just a horrible situation they find themselves in. An earthquake comes, shakes all that loose. Philippian jailer going to kill himself because he's going to be held responsible for everybody. He figures, you know, they're all escaped and I'm going to have to pay in my life for what they've done. And he knew that it would be an unpleasant experience to die at the hands of the Romans. And he was going to fall on his sword. Paul says, don't do that. We're all here. And his response to that was this, the Philippian jailer. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So Paul is released <coughs> from the uh, from the jail, the Philippian jailer and his household come to Christ and they are baptized. This is part of his memory. This is the start of the Philippian church. <coughs> there are those times that a demon dust particle <sighs> are you thirsty so see I told you demon dust particles they're everywhere be thou gone okay 
This is part of his memory. Now, that, that wouldn't be a pleasant memory. You know, I, hey, I've had churches. I've thought about this when I've been studying this. He thought of the church. And of all the women on the bank, only one of them responded. <laughs> and the congratulations that he gets for that is a beating and imprisonment, you know. I've, I've had a church or two that seemed about as bad uh, to me. And he's saying, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. He's not picking and choosing. Everything that he thinks about Philippians, the Philippian church and the Philippians, brings joy to him. I thank God upon every remembrance. What goes from there? Well, somehow Lydia and the household of the Philippian jailer, of course, along with the jailer, begin to form the nucleus of a church that becomes a very significant church. He writes them and he says to the overseers and the deacons. So they have, they're so, they're so expansive as a church, they have enough men now. Starts out with this woman, enough men so that they are now structured and have overseers and deacons. That's a fairly significant church. They obviously think of Paul as well because most of them are impoverished. I don't know about Lydia. She may have been well-to-do. I don't know. But uh, they continued to send gifts to him. That's seen in other portions of the scriptures. And he's obviously responding here about a gift that they have uh, sent to him. And they're grieved. What's happening? We've heard you're in prison. We can't believe this. It's horrible. Paul says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Everything that happened there was of God. And I, how can I complain regarding the purpose and the will of God? Because it doesn't matter who we are, really. It's just that God would work through us. That's a wonderful thing. Regardless of what would happen to us after that or through that, that God would separate us and then choose to work through us. And now he's working through the Philippians. I thank God. It was all worth it. They were on a main thoroughfare. They had trade routes that joined Rome with Greece. One of the most significant places in the world was Philippi because of what was going through there and the commercial and industrial and financial city, uh, center that it was. Always in my every supplication for all of you, supplication. Uh, it means a heartfelt, a heartfelt plea for the, for the filling of specific needs. It's a list. If you have a prayer list, and you pray and you have that prayer list and you're praying according to the list that you've made, you're supplicating. You're offering a supplication. It's a prayer, but it is a specific prayer zeroing in on heartfelt needs. And that's how Paul is. That's how he's praying. 
every supplication for all of you, making the supplication with joy. Now there's the word. That's really, I think, the first time the actual word uh, appears uh, in the scriptures. Uh, and the word joy, karas. Third line down, first word, karas. Now the word in the Greek for grace is karis, karis. Karas is a is an is an expression of grace. It's a it's an effect of grace. It, it, you can't have this joy. You can't have karas without karis. So there's grace, and then because of this grace, there is this joy. And he's making this supplication with joy. Why? Because of your fellowship in the gospel. You see that word fellowship? It's translated maybe partner. Koinonia. You've heard that word before. Koinonia. To have common with. To have in common with. It can be translated communion. Fellowship. Uh, it could be uh, partnership. That's what it means. Your partnership in the gospel. Your communion. Us coming together. And instead of the elements of the Lord's table, it is the blessings of the gospel. And we come together at that spiritual table, in this case, and have fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now, being persuaded or being confident or, or having the trust, uh, to have the trust being persuaded of this very thing, that the one having begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, here is a truth of your life and of my life in Christ. We are saved by grace but the grace of God is a transforming thing in the life of a believer. And it is so powerfully transforming that it produces effects. There, there, there comes forth from the person who's been born again, who's been saved by the grace of God. It's, it's a thing that is irrevocable. You can't stop it. The fruits of that grace, the product of that grace is going to come through your life. And it may be for you one thing and for me another thing. Or various things for you and various things for me. And those things, those effects, may morph into other effects over time in your life in Christ. But this is what, this is what the Lord says through the apostle. The one having begun a good work in you. Now that's, that's God, of course. Now look at the having begun. An examinus, Greek word, having begun. Listen to me. In the Greek language, it's in what's called the aorist middle. Aorist tense, middle voice. The aorist, aorist means that it happened. It's a snapshot. It's, you can't reverse it. It happened. 
and the results of what happened just keep going on. But then also being in the middle voice, here's what that means. It means that the subject is doing the action and shares in the results of the action. Now that's the Lord. Now here's what that means to you and me. That means that when we're in Christ, what effects come from that, from, from grace, produced in our lives, are initiated by the Lord Almighty. Not just that, but as long as we walk in this life, he's with us such that he participates in the results. He causes the thing to start and he participates with us in the results that occur. Now, this is what Paul says to the Philippians. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church. You're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're doing something for Christ. It could be, I don't know what, you know in your life, surely. When that happens, one of, the, one of the effects with Paul was joy. He can't go anywhere to do anything. He's in prison, but he's, he's enjoying himself. Just basking in how productive God is through his grace as he works it out according to his purpose, having worked it through Paul and now through the Philippians and wherever. So they're fellowshipping in the gospel and the one having begun a good work in you will complete it. Epitalese. Epitalese. Upon perfection or upon completion, on perfection. It means he will complete it. He will fulfill it. I have this confidence in the Lord as well as you should. If we're in Christ, the day will come. God called us. God has prepared this from before the foundation of the world. It's all of God. So what God, what God appointed in eternity, he works out in time. And in the course of time, calls me physically and visibly to Christ through conviction of sin. He gives to me the gift of of repentance and confession. I could never repent if God had not caused me to be born again. I'm, I'm dead spiritually. I can't do anything. So it's all of God. And he gives me this gift and he gives me the gift of confession. And having caused me to be born again, he gives me a, a new life. And in that life, I'm living in such a way and I probably don't even realize it that the effects of the grace of God are coming through my life. And this is God working it and being with me as he continues to work it. And finally in my life, it is fulfilled. I don't know when that day will be. It hadn't come yet. If I had died 15 years ago, it's still the truth that God would have fulfilled the work that he started in me. That's what that would have meant. I'm not dead yet. I may drop dead on the, the maybe that's the last thing I would teach people. And he would, call, I don't know. But I know this, it's all of him. He gave it, he started it. 
He sustains it. He's right there with me. And then it's a good work and it won't stop until according to the will of God, it is fulfilled and completed. That's what that means. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Now you can look at that a couple of ways. You can look at it, I suppose, as the day that you die, it's over and he will have fulfilled it. Or you can look at it this way, which is what I prefer. The effects of your life will continue after you're dead. And those effects, well, consider the Apostle Paul. We're still being affected by what he has done, right? And the effects of what God has done through you and in you continues to have its effect until the day of Jesus Christ, namely, in the day of rapture and resurrection, we were called up to the judgment seat of Christ. And that's the place where believers stand. The judgment seat. And rewards are given. It's not a place of punishment. The cross was the punishment. But rewards are given. Now, to me, that's, that's what it means. Completed until the day of Jesus Christ. But the strongest principle coming out from this is that everything in your life that is in Christ is from God. God starts something and you may not even realize what he's doing. Through. It may be, you know, I think of Robert Murray McShane. You ever heard of that guy? Uh, what, back in the 1600s? The Scottish priest, 1700s? Way, way back. I read his sermons. In his day, in the Britannia, in, in, Scot in the Scottish, he was, no doubt, he was the greatest preacher of his day. He was 26 years old when he died. Think about that. 26 years old when he died. And I am still being fed when I read the sermons of Robert Murray McShane. A propagator, a proclaimer of the grace of God. 26 years old. What happened? His life was fulfilled. He preached, taught, spoke what God had called him to do and God brought him home. John the Baptist was a young man. He completed what the Old Testament said he would do by prophecy. He came to announce the coming of the Messiah and it was over. He fulfilled what he did. Now, in your case, in my case, I have no way of knowing I keep trying to impress the Lord by saying, I want to stay at Shiloh until I finished preaching through the Bible at Shiloh, which is going to give me about another five years. Well, I guarantee you, when I get within a year of that, I'll have another idea. <laughs> Lord, I've never carried Shiloh through systematic theology. Would you, I'm, I'm going to do, you know, I mean, I, if he just did it according to the way that I want, I'd never die, right? But somewhere along the way, he will fulfill what he designated for my life. It was a work that he started. He continues. He sustains it. He, he participates in it with me, middle voice, until it's fulfilled, accomplished. And then I'm done in my service. And the effects of it and what it does Finally, 
brought to its complete fruition in the day of Jesus Christ. This is what he says to the Philippians. This is what, this is what the Lord says to all of us. Accordingly, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, in both my chains, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Okay, here are a couple of definite ministries of the Philippian Christians. The first one is defense of the gospel. Eh, about in the middle up there, apologia. We get our word apologetics from that. There is a great ministry of apologetics. Every church, Christians should be prepared to some degree in defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world is always throwing untruths and confusion and is relentless in its attack upon the truth that there is a God, the truth that he is the creator of everything and that the Bible is true. And the truth of the scriptures, the truth of the Christ, the reason for Christ on the cross, the reason for the resurrection, the ascension, his soon coming, what he's doing right now in heaven for us, according to, we, we should be able to defend all that. Because in Philippi, you can imagine that the world in which they lived constantly attacked the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here is one thing where Paul knew that they were so real in Christ. Number one, they defended the gospel. They were prepared to stand up in a ministry of apologetics in their day and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to know the Bible. Study the Bible. That's what they did. They studied the Bible. They were taught. They were disciples of Christ. This is, this, is, this is an essential part of life for Christians, if we're in Christ, to know the Bible, to constantly study it. You'll always get something new out of it. But then there's a second, there's a second part of this, the confirmation of the gospel. Bibiose, Confirmation. Now, here's what that means. The Philippians were declaring the gospel of Christ. They were fellow partakers of Paul who introduced the gospel by the purpose of God. The Holy Spirit kept him from going to, to the east, to Asia, steered him to the west, and churches were birthed everywhere. And now those churches in the Holy Spirit of God not only are defending the gospel, but confirming the gospel. How do you do that? Well, you do that by preaching the gospel and watching people get saved. That's how you confirm the gospel. How are people going to be converted? How will they ever come to Christ in the gospel unless it's of God? There is no other way. God saves people. Only God can save people. It's our job to proclaim the gospel. To teach people the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved. And if you don't have Christ, you're lost. You're irreparably lost and you'll go to hell. But if you have Christ and you're in Christ, eternal life is yours and heaven is your home. And you will be with Christ throughout all of eternity with blessings and riches and honor 
in Christ, because of Christ, that you could never imagine. A joy in eternal life that cannot be comprehended until we're actually in it. And even when we're in it, I think the joys continue to unfold exponentially and infinitely into the ages of the ages of the ages. People are being saved. This is how the gospel is confirmed. The church grew. The church didn't, as far as I could tell, didn't have overseers and deacons when Paul was there to begin with. But now he writes them back and they've, they've grown to such a, uh, an organism in Christ, such a church that they're structured. And not only that, but they have developed a ministry of apologetics and a ministry of evangelism and mission work right where they are. So he says, I have you in my heart because of you. you defend and confirm the gospel. You are all fellow partakers with me of this grace. Fellow partakers, partners. Soon, partners with Paul of this grace. This grace, what grace? This grace, this grace of the gospel. People are only saved by grace. Can't work your way into heaven. You can't prepare yourself for heaven. That's asinine. That's totally opposite of the gospel. The gospel is this. God calls you to Christ. It is, an, it is, it is a call that you cannot resist. And when God calls, you come. And when God calls, he makes you understand what a sinner you are and how hopeless you are without a savior who took all of your sins upon himself and took the punishment of it and put it away on the cross and guaranteed your resurrection by his resurrection. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Fellow partakers of me with this grace, that's the grace. The grace of the gospel of Christ. For God is my witness. How I long after you all. Paul was from the south. You all. How I long after you all. In the affection of Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus Christ is the son of God. There is no other way to be saved but through Christ and faith in him. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed from this room by benediction. But as you leave, I want you to know that there are deacons and their wives just across the hall, and you'll see them standing in the doorways as you exit. They are there to pray with you if you would come to Christ today. They're there to pray with you about that. Maybe you're here and you're already a Christian, already a believer. And God Almighty has expressed his purpose in your heart that you should come and be a part of Shiloh. They're prepared to pray with you about that as well. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.